Um, we're into Romans chapter 14. Um, last week we talked somewhat about um, governmental authority and our relationship to it as Christians. Now Paul is going toward a, another thing that we need to be cognizant of, um, and that is uh, talking about strong and weak in faith, and, and when he says weak in faith, we'll talk in a minute. It's not that it's watery or anything like that. It's more they haven't worked out their full relationship with God and the consequences of God as Creator and Jesus as you know uh, the risen, crucified Lord. Um, but anyway, if someone would read verses one through twelve. 14. Chapter 14, 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not then the one who, dis- who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own ma- it is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives by himself, and none of us dies by himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Thank you. Now, one of the things that's probably happening here is Paul is responding to an issue that sometimes related to tension between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And in this particular situation, the Jewish Christians had been gone from Rome for a period of time because they had been kicked out by Claudius. Nero had left them back in, but there was a five or six year period that they were gone. So the Gentile Christians were used to eating what they wanted and not being concerned about uh, the Jewish dietary laws. And so when the Jewish Christians come back and they you know, just say, you can't eat meat because they were uh, thinking about the kosher rules and the um, Gentile Christians were, you know, it's meat. It's no big deal. And... You know, so there's this conflict, and he's trying to bring it out to them to think through this process about, you know, what is 
acceptable and what's not. Uh, also, the part of the problem could have been, you know, when most of the Jewish laws were written, not the commandments, but the laws. I mean, some of them were laid down by Moses. Some developed and evolved later on. Um, they, you know, worked at following them. And is it related to some of the kosher laws? Most of them were an agricultural type people. I mean, some, you know, they had cities, but cities as we think of cities are, are totally different. What they would have called a silly city would have been something more like a village probably to most of us. So they still would have gone out and been close to the source of their food. Now, when you get in Rome, you don't know what the source of the food was. So being a Jewish Christian and wanting to abide by the kosher laws, you're almost kind of, you can't eat meat because you don't know how it was processed. So to be safe, you just are a vegetarian. And so that's probably why Paul here is talking about the weak person only eats vegetables. Now, that was their way of, you know, avoiding eating meat that had not been properly processed. And so that's what is leading to this conversation, so to speak, that Paul is trying to get them to think through what is good and what's bad. And, you know, uh, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment. You know, it's we're not to take, um, you know, look down on each other or how they respond in their dietary habits, but if they believe one way, that's fine. So if the, the person who is Jewish feels like they need and it's appropriate to follow the kosher law, the Gentile Christian doesn't need to be looking down on them and just saying poopa to it. That's no good. And I got to thinking about when I was in elementary school, and probably a lot of everybody remembers this too, at least at Eastside Elementary in West Point, Mississippi, on Fridays, they always had salmon croquettes for the Catholics, and they had hamburgers for everybody else. And, you know, you think about an 8, 10-year-old kid you seen your buddies eat hamburgers and you're having to eat salmon croquettes? You really feel bad. So then when you say something to them, huh? Oh, man, I, one day I decided to try them and I go, there's a reason they dislike them. <laughs> well, your grandmothers may have been different than school prepared. But in the elementary school where I went, we would always have these, these fish cakes on Friday. Everybody, everybody, everybody ate. Everybody ate. Uh, no, we, we had it. But so, you know, making fun, you know, it's the same sort of thing. You know, you're making them feel bad. And, you know, so the same thing was applying here in that, you know, you need to respect the other person. You don't need to let them see this as something that is a separator between them and God. Just because your faith as you've worked it out, allows you to do this. Because meat, in and of itself, when Noah came off the boat, God said, you know, the animals are going to dread and fear you because I'm going to let you eat them. Before, when in the garden, 
he had told Adam they could eat, you know, the seeds of the grasses and the uh, trees that had fruit with seeds. They could eat those. But after the flood, they could eat meat. And so then in the kosher laws, as those evolved, there became a problem with some of the... Is this reference to the wheat in uh, verse 1? Sorry. Yeah, in verse 1 and also in verse 2. Is this saying that the people who wouldn't eat meat are weak in their faith? No, it's how they've worked out their relationship with what God has said. It's not that their faith is weak, because he goes on to say, um, you know, uh, over in 8.1, uh, he's talking about the days, but, you know, if it to you is a problem, then you need to, you know, if, if eating these things is a problem to you, you need to be true to what you believe. And the person who it's not a problem can be true to what they believe, but don't pick on the other. It's not your faith that is weak. It's your relationship of what Paul was trying to tell them and how they viewed uh, God working out his plan in Christ as the crucified, risen Lord. And they saw it differently. It's funny, as I read this, it it sounds as though the the people that are weak in faith are the ones that are uh, trying to follow all the dietary rules. But because their their faith is not strong enough to accept the fact that 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 doesn't make any difference. (coughs) And and, uh, that's kind of an interesting... I keep remembering how this... Yeah. Right. I keep remembering how this um, how this played out in the narrative of Acts in the early church. How there were, you know, there were repeated, and not only about this, but there were repeated um, disagreements, if you will, between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. It was one of the reasons that the seven. Uh, young men were selected for service, including Stephen, who became the church's first martyr. And those seven recommended were were ordained, if you will, by the by the apostles. And, and I remember too that Paul came down on the side of, as he's arguing here, that the dietary restrictions no longer apply. And remember, I remember in. I think it was the tenth chapter of Acts when Peter had that vision, you know, all of the all of the animals coming down from heaven in a in a blanket, a sheet, yeah, a sail, being lowered down, and and he him talking to Christ about whether it was it was proper to eat some of them and eat or eat all of them, and, and so I, I think that. What Paul is writing here is consistent with what we read in Acts that on the one hand there are no more dietary restrictions any more than there are any more restrictions about the way we dress or 
you know, the, the law of ceremonies and rites has been superseded and it's not controlling on us anymore. But in order to maintain comity within the, the, the church of believers that those who follow these dietary restrictions should be, should be accommodated so that, because as I understand what Paul is writing here is it's, it's a, it's a penultimate. I think that was Paul Zoll's old term, wasn't it? Something, it you know, nobody's, nobody's salvation depends on something like this. And so you uh, who eat meat, if it causes a problem when you are among those who don't eat meat, then don't eat meat. And those of you who don't eat meat, if it causes a problem when you are among those who do eat meat, don't make an issue of it. Uh, and that's what I understand Paul to be. Um, think, go ahead, Conference. I was just going to say, John's probably more accomplished at sword drill given his background. <laughs> <laughs> There's the passage wherein Jesus declares it's not what comes out of a, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him, but what comes out of it. And by this he declares all foods good. Right. And that's, that's a direct. Right. That was the moment when they were walking through the, the wheat fields on the Sabbath and the and the, uh, some of the apostles were, were pulling the grain off and, you know, shucking it in their hand and, and eating the raw grain, and the Pharisees called them to task for working on the Sabbath. I believe that's, that's when he said that. Okay, part of this also comes, though, from the looking in Corinthians when he's talking to the uh, folks in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And then in verse 4, therefore, as to the eating of food offers, offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. And for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom all things exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. Well, he's telling them with the food that if you want to eat, you know, it's okay to eat the meat that has been sacrificed in a pagan temple because it's just food. But we don't need to pass judgment on a person. And he goes on in other places to say, like with this food, it's okay to eat it, but it's not okay to go to a feast at a pagan temple to eat the meat that's just been sacrificed. And in Colossians, here again he talks about it uh, in chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. It's, you know, it's how you respond to it and how you've worked out your relationship with God. So to the, you know, as to the meat and kosher and those sort of things, it, if it was important to this Jewish Christian to still follow those laws for whatever reason, let them follow it. You know, they're free to eat the meat, but if it's important to them to be following the Jewish law, from a standpoint of conscience, 
not because they have to, but now because of conscience, let them. To the... Huh? What? Well, oh. go ahead and finish your thought. And, and then on the flip side, when he's talking to the ones in Corinth, it's more a lot of them thought they had to follow and the Jewish law to be part of the group. So it, it's, you know, in different books, he's pointing toward food for different reasons from kind of different angles, but it's, you know, it's not that important of what it is. So go ahead. Just sort of as an aside, you mentioned in that uh, the Sabbath and new moon. What does that mean? Well, I'm not sure about the new moon. The Sabbath goes back to part of what he's saying here in um, the, you know, in what uh, Coffee read about days, um, uh, about uh, which day. One esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days. One should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who deserves the day, the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. And so that is saying that, yes, the Sabbath is sacred, but it's not like you know, we need to take rest days, but does it have to absolutely be the Sabbath? And just like the feast days, we don't, you know, it's, you know, how... Um, you respond to them. So you can honor God, is what Paul is saying. He's worked out because you go back to Christ harvesting, you know, wheat from the field on the Sabbath, which was against the Sabbath laws. I mean, that was a no-no. And so Christ found, you know, from what Paul's saying is he'd worked out that you need to honor God, but it doesn't have to be on a set day being the Sabbath, which would have been the Jewish day of worship. I kind of read this as a broader commentary on denominational differences. You know, there are some denominations who are very strict about certain observances. You know, they don't touch alcohol because they believe that that's, you know, that, that is sinful. Uh, the Episcopalians consider alcohol Drunkenness to be a sacrament, as one as one novelist put it, with a sort of a twinkle in his eye. Drunkenness is a sacrament, uh, but the denominational differences, I, I think, are should be to be seen in the light of, of this that um, we we should not put up artificial barriers among Christians who have different. Practices, as Larry Gibson once preached, it's like think of it like different sets of lenses. Um, Coffee wears the lenses that he wears to be able to see clearly. I wear these so that I can read at a distance that I can't achieve otherwise when I have my contact lenses in. As Larry said, if I put on my Baptist glasses, I can't see him at all. But that's it's because we are different, not because some higher truth is different. I think that's a point that Paul is making here. Because all Christians are different, we should be tolerant of one another's differences in the way we observe and in the way we, we focus. And so denominations should have 
room for one another, and there's nothing wrong with there being different denominations. It's when denominationalism becomes a sort of a we-they thing, and that's what I think Paul was addressing here, where the denominational differences are allowed to break into and interrupt the relationships among the believers. So that, anyway, is, I think, the I, I read the, the broader implication of what Paul is writing, even though narrowly he's addressing this meat or no meat, vegetarian or whatever, you know, dietary restriction in the early church. Even, even a broader view might be he was just saying these don't be judgmental. Period. Well, that's part of it very much. That's, I, mean, that's, I mean, he talks about not being judgmental in this. Yeah, Paul they don't take that too far, though. Because there's, there's some, something I've heard, I've been taught or, or, or heard from a speaker, I don't know if one of you guys or Alan Ross, I just really don't remember who it was, that says that um, if you know of somebody in your parish that is committing a blatant sin, you need to call them out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just your responsibility as a Christian to say, I know you're committing adultery or whatever, and, and that's, and, 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 which I think puts you in a self righteous position, which is wrong. I mean, be judgmental. But I don't know that I heard that. I mean, I didn't make that up. I, well, I, part of what Paul is talking about here are not the, it, it's, you know, it, it's here he's almost talking about Jewish laws and regulations, okay, as opposed to real, to commandments, okay, of what, you know, you need to be doing. You know, so adultery, that's one of those where there's not a gray line. Whereas what you're eating depends on more of what, you know, your conscience is and what it gets to you. Now, part of where some of these laws came through is kind of interesting is that if you look at uh, in um, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 19, you shall keep my statute and you shall uh, not let your cattle breed with different kind. You shall not sow your fields with two kinds of seeds and you shall not wear a garment made of two kinds of material. And then further down in there, in uh, 26 and 27, I just found this interesting. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it, and you shall not round off your beard on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. And what that came from is when they went into the land of Canaan, they wanted to be seen as different. So cutting your beard, letting, you know, you been to New York and seen the Hasidic Jews with their curls hanging down from there. They're following that. Now, they trim their beards because if they didn't, they'd be longer than what uh, ZZ Top or whatever their name was that had those long beards. It, or the Robertson family. Yeah, the Robertson family. But it's, it's rounding it off, you know, as opposed to whatever. But it, this was done to show some difference from the people that you were around. I think you just hit the nail on the head that the scribal law that came, that we find in Leviticus, both the law of ceremonies and rites about what to wear and how to trim the beard, and the civil law about how to handle the, you know, about how, how to handle civil jurisdiction things like the marriage laws, like what to do with, with adulterers and all that. All of those were 
important to maintain a distinct identity for the nation of Israel and to govern them as a society, which is why they fell away. You know, they were superseded by the New Testament because their purpose had been accomplished. But every one of those laws, the civil law, the law of rites and ceremonies, could find its grounding, and here's where I would yield to Alan Ross or some other Old Testament scholar, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Every one of these other laws had a basis in, was anchored to one of the commandments in the moral law. So that each one of these, how you wear your clothes and how you tend grain in your field can be can be tied to, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Or honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. All of those all of those observance laws had a basis in the moral law, which is forever, of course. It's not superseded. Just the the scribal law is superseded. The other side of that coin is straining at a knife and swallowing a camel. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you when you when you try to so entail something back to a finite statement, thou shalt not kill. Well, when you start trying to stack up on that, you're straining at a gnat and you're swallowing the camel. You know, you're trying to make it so infinite. But the, the law is pretty clear in the Ten Commandments and it, it probably doesn't need a whole lot of polishing of the cannonball, if you will, to make it work. You know, they, you know, some of the kosher law back in this period of time probably were just good health code. Well, yeah, that's the other side of the coin. I mean, so, you know, it, it's nothing to sit and say um, back then that some of the practices and, you know, back the way uh, pigs, hogs were lived and raised, you know, there was an issue with them that doesn't exist today. And, you know, they eat as well or better than cattle do. Uh, but back then they didn't. And so there was a real health issue concern. But, you know, Paul is really trying to get them to understand they don't need to build up walls between each other. And, and it's like Coffee was saying, by swatting at gnats. That they need to look at, you know, what brings them to the heart of holiness. And it's not whether you're eating vegetables and no meat, or you're eating meat and no vegetables. Um, it, it has to do with how we react in our relationship to God. And just because somebody is practicing it differently than we are, we need to assess where we stand as much as where they stand. And, go ahead, Brian. I was going to say one of the things that I think I, if I understood it correctly from one of these Bible study classes that Alan Ross teaches is the importance. He seems to stress or put a great deal of importance upon demonstrating your faith publicly. Now, there's a narrow line, it seems to me, and that's appreciate your comment between demonstrating something and appearing to be condescending. Well, Paul talks in Corinthians and other places about what we do causing our fellow believer to stumble. And so by 
you know, eating meat that came from a temple, pagan temple, in and of itself is not bad, but if we go to the temple to eat it, that can be because that person is pointing out that you're not practicing. You know, you're eating that meat and you're eating it with the pagans. Whereas if you eat the meat because it's just meat, as, as long as, um, you know, God told, you know, we're not to eat the lifeblood and that's uh, viewed as the blood of the animal. So as long as it was, you know, sacrificed by decent health standards, it wasn't a big deal. Because even the priests in Jewish times, the, the Jewish priests, they could eat meat off the altar. Um, so, it, it, you know, in the eating of the meat, it kind of depends on where you go because if you're sitting talking about you're a Christian and you're eating meat at the pagan temple, then people see you doing that, they'll start wondering, you know, where is your belief? And, you know, so things that would cause another person to stumble, as long as it, you know, you need to be cognizant of it. Um, so you keep them from getting to that point. You know, another, you know, another thing is, and, and seeing the candy there, it kind of reminds me, I thought about one of my good friends in college, we would go out to eat a lot of times uh, about 7 or 8 o'clock at night, and Tommy and I were the same height, but he outweighed me 80 pounds. I'd eat, we'd get a steak and potato. I'd eat both salads. We'd each eat our own steak and potato. And one night I was still hungry, and I ordered strawberry shortcake. Well, Tommy was okay until it was put in front of me. And then he lost it. Because here I was, I couldn't get enough to keep my weight on, and if he looked at it, he gained weight. Well, you know, I needed to be cognizant of that in the future and not do something like that in front of them. Maybe, you know, get back and go get a candy bar or something, but not, you know, and that's kind of a silly relationship here of, of using it, but, you know, it's how it affects another person when we do it. So we need to be cognizant of that, not to rub it in their face, say. So if we, you know, if, if as long as it's not something that relates to the heart of holiness, then we need to think through it and how it affects others when we deal with it. I, th I think that the context is, in this case, in what the instance I was talking about that Alan Rossi uses, is not so much specific dietary rules, but just kind of how you live your life. You know, yeah. do, you, do you go to church? You know, do you uh, subjective things like love your neighbor as yourself or thou shalt not covet? You know, those kinds of just living a, living a Well, you can't, whatever it is, you can't, though, walk out and do it and do it in such a way that you rub it in somebody's face. Exactly. And, um, you know, if, if you are living and walking your talk, that's what it needs to be, not talking one way and walking differently. Um, because then, you know, and, and I was, you know, here again, sometimes one person's work is another person's relaxation. I mean, just, you know, if... if Working in the yard. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking flowers, but 
planting flowers this time of year, but that's working in the yard. You know, to me, that sometimes is a way to, to relax and unwind. But if I ran a landscape service, that's work. And so, you know, how you view some of those things can be different. I could, you know, my grandmother, one time when, you know, probably nine or ten years old, we found something in the shed or behind the garage that was a, some sort of grass clipper thing, and it was different than anything we'd ever seen. We were playing with it one Sunday afternoon. She got bent out of shape, so to speak, because we were cutting grass. I mean, that would have been a good Jewish thing. You know, we were working on Sunday. No, we were kids playing. I passed a, um, a car the other day that had this sort of bumper stickers on it that clearly the driver was a, was a runner. But then I, I found the, the funniest bumper sticker. I love reading bumper stickers on the cars. And this one reads, my sport is your sport's punishment. <laughs> and I thought about that. Yeah. You know, uh, every, other, every other sport, you know, if you mess up or the coach makes you run laps or do stadium stairs or, or whatever, and this, is, this, this was this driver's sport, your sport's punishment is my sport. And it's kind of the same thing you're talking about. Um, what would be? What would be? Well, yeah, no. I, I try to. I try to read them when I'm in the next lane. You know, close enough to read them. While you're when stopped you're, at the light. Following too close. When you're just when you're trying to decide if you want to keep holy the Sabbath day, then you get into that. You know, do you? Is it okay to cut the grass? Or work or in go the to the office? Huh? Or go to the office? And I think it depends on how you, uh, what's in your heart about it. If it's if it's work for you to do something like that, then don't do it. That's not what you should do. But if it's relaxing and a way you unwind, then to me that would be keeping holy Sabbath day, would it not? It depends on. You know, it's where you're kind of, you know, it, 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 it's one of those things that can be challenging. You need to look at some of this stuff almost on a case-by-case basis. You know, the one thing here he's pointing out in the latter part of what we read is um, who we belong to. You know, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the other who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. You know, in life or Where death. Do we hear that passage? Something to do with burial. Yeah, it's in the burial hall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're God's regardless of whether, you know, whatever goes on. And, you know... To this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. So that judgment becomes his, not ours, of how somebody else is doing. Now, you know, whether it's me personally as it relates to something, if I see that I am doing, you know, while it's okay for John to do it or Laurie to do it, but if to me it's problematic, and it hurts my relationship with God, then I need to avoid it. I can't justify doing it because they do it. Mm-hmm. And in my relationship with God. One of the things I think I've said this before in here, Paul John used to say, 
which I think is very true. It's a whole lot easier to believe that somebody else is going to be forgiven of their sins and you believe that you're going to be yourself forgiven. I mean, it's just, that's just human nature. It's a lot easier to believe that your neighbor will be forgiven for whatever they've done, unknown, than it is for you personally to accept forgiveness for just what you've done. Or so you're doing things. I, I think that makes a lot of sense for what it's worth. Because we surely have a more intimate understanding of our own bankruptcy than the bankruptcy of anybody else. We all have done things we wish we hadn't. Well, we see, and I think what John's saying is we see our shortcomings probably. You know, John and I could do the same thing, and I see mine worse than his. And, you know, and it probably, and a lot of it probably has to do with, you know, what I feel is my relationship with God, and I have failed it. Now, John may be seeing it the same way, but I don't see John's feelings. I see mine. But it's, so, you know, we have to remember. So then it goes on to say, why do you pass judgment on your brothers? Why do you despise your brothers? You know, I feel, they got a bigger house than I do. They got a fancier car. Good for them. Sometimes that's hard to say, but I'm passing judgment on what they've got. I'm coveting. Next week, we're going to do something more related to Palm Sunday. So we'll take a break. We'll 